0: Would you please stand for the reading of our main passage this morning from Matthew chapter 18, 21-35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. All that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart." Please have a seat. How does God feel about our unity or our disunity? you know, we hold in our hands symbols. Symbols of of the king's forgiveness. You see, the truth is is that we have rebelled against God. We've rejected his reign and his rule over us. We disobeyed him. We've walked away from him. We have worshipped anything and everything but him. Because of this sin, We have a debt we could not possibly pay. But God in Christ. But God in Christ comes, and he takes that debt. God in Christ forgives us that debt. And so we get to walk free. How is it then that we would reach out and grab these symbols of the ultimate forgiveness that we have received. We would partake of these symbols and then we would go out and we would withhold forgiveness from other people who have sinned against us. Jesus' words here, you wicked servant. What this man does is, is wicked. Why is it wicked? because it smacks of Satan. Satan, from the beginning, has tried to put his throne above the throne of God. Tried to to glorify himself above God. When you and I withhold forgiveness from someone else, while we've taken forgiveness for ourselves, are, are making a statement. And the statement is, is that my sin against God is less than your sin against me. And I am holier than you. And I am greater than him. And we try to ascend above God in our withholding of forgiveness from one another. How does God feel about that? This morning, as we partake of communion together, I'd ask you to take a moment. Jesus, on the night before he gave his life, as a sacrifice in our place to pay the debt we could not pay. He took bread, he ripped it apart, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, and eat. Likewise, he took the cup. He said that this cup symbolizes a new kind of relationship, a new covenant that God makes with us. Our sins are removed, God's righteousness is imparted, and we have a redeemed, reconciled relationship with our Creator because of what Jesus has done for us. If you've been forgiven, take and drink all of it. This morning we're going to be talking about conflict. I pray this morning that as I speak and as the Spirit of God speaks to you, that if there's anyone that you are not reconciled to, that today that would change. You've reached out. You've taken hold of the symbols of your forgiveness. Reach out. And give that forgiveness freely to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you to soften our hearts. What stands between us and reconciliation with our brothers and sisters today is our own pride. We need you to remove it. Father, I pray this morning that the the words that you have to share our heart, that we would not harden ourselves against them. Help us to listen. Help us to reflect. Help us to test. See if there's anything in us that needs to be repented of. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, we started uh, a series last week called Gospel Answers, and uh, the series was led off uh, by uh, my brother. Uh, my older brother uh, came, and, and he preached, and he, he spoke on this, this, this topic of, uh, or the, this question of, it, can we trust the Bible? Can we trust God's Word? Can we trust the reliability of, of Scripture? And, and you look down at and, and, and maybe the, the app on your phone, or you, you look down at the Bible in your lap, and what you see in front of you is, it's this... Um, you know, really ancient book. You know, there's 66 Old Testament and New Testament books come together and written by a bunch of different authors and it was formed over, you know, a really long period of time and and, and the reality is, is like the original manuscripts of that are are lost and what we have is copies of copies and and what you have is a translation of copies of copies and so the question is, is, can you trust what you have in front of you? Can you trust that that is actually the words of God to you? And, and I think that, that, that Scott did a very good job in, in answering the question. Yes, you can. In addition to being able to trust it, what, what we see in God's word is the fact that God wants us to know him. But we also see that, that he's gone to great lengths to give it to us and that he loves us very much. And so yes, we, we could trust it. This is uh, this, the, the, this wonderful story which reveals the gospel to us. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is on this gospel that we hang our hat. It is on this gospel that, that we trust and we live. And we believe that the gospel, it not only saves our souls, but it saves our lives. We believe that the gospel supplies the answers for all of life's questions. Any of life's questions. And that's the purpose of this series. The question that we begin to ask today, and it's going to take us two weeks to get to the bottom uh, of it, is, is this question, how do Christians handle conflict? In particular, how do Christians handle conflict with one another, with other Christians? And we believe that the gospel supplies the answer to this question. I want to begin by saying that this morning, our conflicts can lead in one of two directions. Our conflicts can put on display a glorious God and it can prove the truth of the gospel. Or our conflicts can deny that. They can deny that. Um, so this series, it, it, it kind of grows out of, well, something that I asked you to do a few months ago. Uh, back in the spring, I, I asked uh, for those of you who, who had questions uh, things that you wanted to see the, the gospel explain. What, what issues are going on in your life? What, what cultural things do you see? You know, what do you want the Bible to uh, address? What do you want to hear an answer for that on? And um, I've been a part of, of this, these series before, and what, I, what I've seen is that well, generally there's an overwhelming response. What I've seen in the past is, is when churches, or churches that were, I, I was a part of, did series like this, generally people were chomping at the bit to have questions answered, and all sorts of questions would come forward, you know, questions about, you know, sex, or marriage, or divorce, or uh, difficult passages of Scripture, any sort of maybe hot-button issue that, that people wanted to uh, address, and uh, and so all sorts of questions would, would come out. Um, however, in, re- in, in response to this series, I haven't seen any of that. I mean, the response was there, but it was kind of small, and I was, to be honest, I was a little disappointed in, in some of that, and, and I was talking to Ryan about it, and he's like, well, in light of the last 18 months, I mean, think about it. I mean, think, the, the, the last 18 months, right, we had uh, uh, the racial issues in our country, we had a, a, a crazy election, uh, we have had, uh, obviously, COVID, uh, issues with masks and vaccines and mandates and uh, freedom, and, and all of these controversies surrounding us, No wonder people might be tired of controversy. Anybody feel a little worn out? Any of you not ready for more conflict this morning? And so this this notion of of, of raising difficult issues that we would wrestle with and and actually risk, you know, having more conflict, I can understand if we're not chomping at the bit to do that, right? But you see even in that what we see is that one of the responses that we have to conflict is avoidance of it as Christians we avoid it and we shouldn't we shouldn't Uh, this morning here's the here's the plan Uh, I'm gonna talk about uh, the reality of conflict first of all Uh, secondly the the cause or one of the causes of conflict as I said this is a series divided into two parts Uh, this morning we're gonna look at fear um, next week, excuse me, we're going to look at uh, lust, um, and lust is a much bigger term than we, we re- you generally confine it to. We, we generally can confine it to uh, a, a sexual nature when it's actually much bigger than that. So we're talking about that next week. Uh, so we'll talk about the cause of conflict. Uh, then we're going to look at the real issue beneath that. And then lastly, we're going to look at a gospel response, or so the gospel response to Christians in conflict. All right, you ready? Here we go. Conflict is a part of our reality. You go back to that parable that that Jesus said, and and it's preempted by Peter going to Jesus, and and, and what does he say to Jesus? Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Right, how often? And, And within his question, Peter understands, I'm going to be sinned against. My brother or my sister in Christ occasionally is going to sin against me. So, how many times do I forgive them before the relationship ends? That's essentially what he's asking. And Jesus' response through this parable is basically saying, you know, your level of forgiveness is not dependent on anything but the king's level of forgiveness. As as much as the king has forgiven you, like, that's how much you forgive others. In other words, there's no limit to how much you forgive another person. Because here's the reality, you've sinned more against God than you've ever been sinned against. And that's the reality of it. But Peter understands, conflict is is a part of our reality. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners. Uh, uh, The cross has redeemed you, just so you know. If you are in Christ Jesus and and you have placed your belief in him, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. You have been justified by the cross. However, you still sin, and you know that. You still sin. Through through your actions and your words and through your deeds, you offend God and you hurt his image bearers. You still sin. And the reason why there's conflict is because it's one sinner in relationship with another sinner. That's the reality. Some of you, you're not yet married, and you're thinking about marriage, and you're like, man, I am looking for Mr. Right, I'm looking for Mrs. Perfect, and we're going to find each other, and our relationship is going to be free of conflict. (laughs) No, because you are prideful and you are selfish and you are self centered. And you will marry someone who is prideful and selfish and self centered. You are both sinners. And that is the reality of the situation. And whenever you put two sinners in the re- there will be conflict. You know, some of you, you're, you're not yet parents, and um, you walk down the grocery aisle, you know, at the local market, and you see a, a mom with, with their, their toddler, and the toddler is just losing it. And you look at them and you say, that will never be my kid. <laughs> no, you're going to raise a perfect kid. No, because you're a sinner married to the aforementioned spouse who's a sinner raising another sinner. And some of you will be like, well, maybe the second one won't be a sinner. No, that's the reality. All of our relationships, you are a sinner in relationship with other sinners, and conflict is going to be a part of it. That's the reality of it. That's the truth of it. Whether that's a work relationship, or that's a school relationship, or whether that's a house church relationship, if you're actually going to have real relationships and you're not going to be fake or phony, you're actually going to deal with real life with one of the people, you're going to experience conflict because both of you are sinners. All of you are sinners. I'm a sinner. That is the reality of it. But here's the deal. Conflict can produce something good. Conflict can be sanctifying. Conflict can can cause us to to work hard together to, to find out the ways that we are wrong and we need to repent and grow in faith. Conflict can produce glory for God, edification for one another, and holiness in us. Conflict can be sanctifying. Conflict can proclaim the truth of the gospel. And you know what? The world is looking at. The, they're looking at our faith, and they're asking the question: Does this actually work? Does this actually work? And our conflicts can be a way of saying yes, because here we are, two sinners, and we are broken and divided. But through Jesus Christ, we can forgive, and we can reconcile, and we can love one another. We can proclaim the truth of the gospel or we can deny it. We can deny it. And the reality is, many of us have been denying it. Conflict is a part of our reality. The question is not if we're going to face conflict. The question is, is what will we do with it? will it produce a picture of the gospel or a denial of the gospel? Second thing, look at the cause of conflict. If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, we see an interesting story that, that takes place. Uh, there's the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, two great leaders of the New Testament church, probably the most influential New Testament figures other than Jesus. And what we're going to see here is a conflict between the two of them. And some of you think, well, yeah, sure, Christians are in conflict, but Christian leaders? <laughs> yes, Christian leaders. So uh, read with me chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas, that's the, another name for, for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So the book of Galatians, it's a letter. And Paul writes this letter to, to a church and, uh, and, and the purpose of this letter is to address the fact that there's a false gospel that's being proclaimed. There's a group of people saying that in order to become a Christian, a Gentile, that's a person who's not Jewish, must first become Jewish, right? A Gentile man must first undergo circumcision, become Jewish in order for him to become Christian. And, and, and Paul writes this letter to deny that and to say it's not by works, it's not by, by doing something special that justifies you before God. And so in in bringing this truth to light, he looks back and he he points to an instance that happened in the church of Antioch. Antioch was uh, the very first church planted outside the church of Jerusalem. It was a predominantly Gentile audience, Gentile-believing Christians. And, And the apostle Peter, he knew He knew that Gentiles could become Christians. He knew that that Jesus died for everyone. He knew that that, that uh, non-Jewish people were included in the salvation of Christ. And so um, Peter, he goes up to Antioch where this new church is is, is growing and thriving and he starts doing what he's supposed to do. He starts uh, hanging around people. He starts eating uh, uh, meals in people's homes and and he starts hanging out with these Gentiles. There's this this incarnational ministry that, that Jesus modeled for him. And so he's doing this, and he's, he's with these, these group of people. But there's this other group of people that comes from Jerusalem, a very pious religious group of people. And these are these Judaizers. These are the, the, the sect of the circumcision who want to go around and make sure that everybody becomes Jewish before they become Christian. But they carry a lot of weight, and they're very influential. And So they show up on the scene, and all of a sudden, Peter withdraws. Also, Peter, he, 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 he takes a step back. He stops hanging out with Gentile Christians. And, and because he's a leader, other Jewish Christians follow his, his lead. And all of a sudden, there's a divide that's happening in the Antioch church between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. So what does Paul do? He posed him to his face. Let's go down to verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot earn it. Jesus has done everything for you. And your only requirement is that you place faith in Jesus. You accept what Jesus has done for you. You can't justify yourself. But but here's Peter, and he's acting like this pious religious Jewish guy that has earned it. And Paul calls him out. He poses him to his face. He's been hypocritical. He sinned against Gentile believers in the church of Antioch, and his actions have denied the truth of the gospel, which is by faith that you're saved. He sinned against his his fellow Christians and he's denied the gospel. Why? Fear. Fear. He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no reason. Hear again these words. I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God. Is Peter living by faith in the Son of God? No, he's living by fear. What is he fearing? The opinion of men. Fear is a worship word. Fear points you to the things that you worship. If you want to know if there is an idol in your heart that you need to repent of, if you want to know if there's something else that you're looking to to save you, if you want to know if you're putting your trust in something other than God, then examine your fears. Examine what it is that you're afraid of, and let's do that. Here's a list of things. This is not uh, by any means... Exhaustive some of you after we get through this list will uh, be offended. I want you to know um, other people will be offended next week <laughs> So, <clears throat> Disapproval public embarrassment or rejection Do you hear any of those things? See this is this is Peter right here, right? This is Peter. Uh, disapproval, public embarrassment, and rejection. Like, there's this group of people that he's trying to impress, these religious uh, guys, and out of, out of fear of them, he's, he's got an idol. This self-image that he has, it's an idol, and he's worshiping that, and he's protecting it, and that's where the fear comes out. Fear of what they think of me, and this fear in the worship of this idol is leading him to sin against Gentile believers, and it's ultimately causing him to deny the truth of the gospel? Are you living in such a way where the opinions of people matter so much to you that you deny the gospel, that you are in conflict with other people in order to protect this God? Here's another one. Pain, sickness, or death. There's a lot of that right now. We've been told a lie that there is a monster that wants to devour you. Now, there's another lie on the opposite side. We'll talk about that next week. But are you living in fear of physical pain or death, of sickness? Because you have this this idol of your own health. And you want to avoid pain at all costs. And because of that, you, there's a fear there. And that fear is leading to you shutting down your life and you walking away from relationships and you closing yourself off and going into isolation. You're sinning against the very community that, that you once said you loved so much. and You deny the gospel. You deny that God has the power even though he has had the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead, he doesn't have the power to protect your life. How about this one? Poverty or financial hardship. That, that, that there is this, this security that comes from having money. And this God to be worshipped. And this is the thing that protects you. And this is the thing that, that safeguards your life. You must protect your bottom line. And out of, out of fear of losing this, all of a sudden, you're no longer generous to others. You're afraid of, of losing this God. And so, you, you, you're no longer generous. You don't no longer share in the things that God has given you. You sin against one another, and you deny the grace, the lavish grace of God that He's poured out on you. Or how about this one? Messiness. Dirt. Disorder. You know, being clean is not a bad thing. <laughs> but you know, there's something that you can worship that, that is raised to such a, a, an elevated to such an extent that it prevents you from having relationships with other people and being hospitable. You're afraid to let people in their dirt into your life or into your house. And it's a denial of the gospel of a man who came and who embraced The leper. You see, good things elevated to, to ultimate things. How about this one? Lifelong singleness, hard marriage, or divorce. And the idol that's here is romantic relationship. You want it so bad. And you'll do anything to get it, to protect it, and to hold on to it. For some of you, you're single and you're willing to compromise your ethics and your morals in order to please somebody and and make them your spouse. And some of you, you've gotten the spouse, but you're so afraid they're going to leave you, they're going to cheat on you, and they're gonna hurt you. And so in your jealousy and in your control, you're trying to manipulate them, you're sinning against them, and you're also ultimately the denying the truth. And the truth is, is the most important relationship you have is with your creator, God, and he's done everything to maintain that and make that happen for you. You don't think that he sees all of your relational needs? How about this one? Disappointing or dishonorable children. You look at your kids, you look at what they're becoming, and you're worried. You're worried that they're going to either disappoint you or they're going to fail in some way. And it's up to your job to save them and to save their future. And so you gotta send them to the right schools and you gotta do do all of these things for them in order to secure this future for them. Because you're worried what, what's gonna ultimately happen is, is they're gonna grow up and, and they're gonna make huge mistakes and then people are gonna look at you and they're gonna say, where were you? You're supposed to parent. You're looking at this, this role and, and you think You think you're your kid's savior, which is a denial of the gospel. How about this one? A body image, being overweight, and that looks a lot of different ways. But you think that how you look ultimately defines what and who you are. And if that if you don't fix what you think you should look like, then God won't accept you and the world around you won't accept you. There's this, this body image that we worship. It's not just weight. It's physique. It's, it's, it's muscles. It's, it's, it's all sorts of things. It's, it's this, this, this worship of how I look in the mirror. And I need to change that in order to gain God's approval or acceptance of me. And that damages us. It damages our relationships with other people around us but it denies the truth of the gospel. God loves you because of Christ has done for you. Lastly, this one. How about sinful failure? You're you're worried of of, of making a big moral mistake that's going to cause the world around you to come crashing down. So what you're going to do is you're going to create all these legalistic rules that govern your behavior about what you will and you won't do. And what those rules do is they they put a wall around you and they prevent you from being in relationships with other people. These legalistic things, they, they damage your relationship with other people, but they also deny the grace of the gospel. You see, whatever you worship in fear of protecting it leads to sin and conflict in your relationships, but ultimately denies the truth of the gospel. Idolatry. That's the issue underneath it. What you worship, what you put your hope and your faith and your trust in, if it's not God, it will destroy all of your relationships. So how do we conclude this? Let's look at the gospel response, and you're not gonna like it. Confrontation. How many of you guys hate confrontation? Confrontation seen biblically, confrontation that is, that is Christian, confrontation that, that, that is Christ-like, is confrontation that is the truth spoken in love. It is the truth spoken in love. And the reality is, is, is most of us, we, many of us, don't like confrontation. And, and what we'll say is that the reason for that is, is we, don't, we think that confrontation is unloving. Any of you think that confrontation is unloving? I, I think that some of the ways we've done confrontation in our society is very unloving. But when we look at, at, at gospel confrontation, when we look at confrontation that is the truth spoken in love, it is just the opposite, Most of the time, we we believe this lie, that we're not going to confront one another uh, because it would be unloving. Uh, If we confront one another, then then it'll be harsh and it'll be cruel and it'll be unloving towards that person, or other people involved, it'll be unloving towards them. We don't want to be unloving, and so we won't deal with it. We won't confront it. That is not the truth. You know what the truth is? The reason why we don't confront is because we love ourselves. The reason why we don't confront is because we love ourselves and we're afraid that if we confront, then our sin will come out. We're afraid that, that, that we'll lose the respect of other people. There are all these fears that are involved in it because of a, of a God that we worship and the God is self. We love ourselves and that's why we don't deal with stuff. Do you know what the cross is? cross is confrontation. It is. The cross is a moment in time where the God of the universe addresses your sin and mine. It is a moment in time where God confronts all of your rebellion, all of the words spoken in anger or hate, all of the attitudes that you've had toward another person, all of, all of the, the, the sin, rebellion, and, 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 and all of this stuff, it is a moment in time when God addresses and confronts your sin. God speaks the truth of who and what you are in that moment. But it's truth with love as Jesus Christ steps between you and him. The love of God is also demonstrated in that moment. Is that he absorbs... God's wrath for you. The cross of Jesus is the moment of confrontation. And it is because of that moment of confrontation that you get to go free. It is because of that moment of confrontation that, that you're no longer responsible. It is because of that moment of confrontation that you get to have a reconciled relationship with God forever. You see, the confrontation that we see, that, it is the gospel Confrontation is good. Confrontation is supposed to happen if it happens in such a way that reconciliation is the result. You see, your confrontations and your conflicts and mine, they're going to happen. Conflict is a reality. Conflict is is, is here with us. Until Jesus comes back and restores all things, conflict is here. The question is, what do we do with it? It's not a question of if, it's a question of what do we do with it? See, through confrontation, speaking the truth in love. Next week I'll talk about what the truth looks like without love. Today I wanna focus on on the, the need for truth. The truth spoken in love brings about reconciliation. It edifies them, it makes you holier, makes you look more like Jesus, And God is glorified. But here's the reality. There are some of us who are refusing to confront. There are some of us who are refusing to deal. And we're hiding behind the lie that it's more loving to not say anything. And that's not the truth. Learning how to confront. Look, I don't want or like being confronted in my sin. I don't, but I need it. I need it. I need men and women in my life who love me enough to tell me the truth. I need other men who are watching me parent. I need other men who are watching me being a husband. I need other men who see me in my role as a pastor and as a friend, as a co-like, I need other people in my life saying, Justin, you are worshiping something else today. Justin, you have this fear that is guiding your decisions and you need to turn to the truth. Justin, you need to see what's really going on in your heart. I need men and women who love me enough to tell me the truth. And it doesn't feel good. And I don't like it. But the reality is, is if I accept it, then that makes me look more like Jesus. It's sanctifying. It makes me holier. Do you see? But if I in pride reject that, And I deny the very truth of the gospel. There's some of us who are refusing to confront. We're running and we're hiding. And it's doing damage to pools within this community. Anger and bitterness is seeping like poison into our relationships with other people so that the conflict that you thought was just between you and that individual has now incorporated this person and that person, and there's aligning and there's teams forming. It's poison. And it's a denial of the gospel. You have been forgiven and your sin against God was greater than the sin that's been committed against you. And if you will not confront, if you will not address, if you will not seek the truth in love with this individual, then the world around who is watching will say the gospel doesn't work. And that's a lie. I know that is not easy. But you know the reality is, is we as a church are called to bear one another's burdens. And so if you're in a relationship where a confrontation needs to happen, we have church elders. I am one of them. We will come alongside you. We desire unity here. We desire reconciliation. We desire healing. It is what God desires. And we want to come alongside you and walk you through that if you will allow us. But the reality is, is we can't have any more division. Do you know how many Christian denominations there are? I don't. It's in the thousands. We are the most divided faith group in the world. Islam is not even as divided as we are. And see, that happens here. That begins here. In a failure to speak the truth and love to one another. Will we love one another more than we love ourselves? We remind you as we close the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Christ did for us. Confrontation saved us. Confrontation redeemed us. Confrontation not only gives us an eternity of a reconciled relationship with God, but confrontation gives us today. It gives us tomorrow, it gives us an opportunity to reconcile with one another. Will we be reconciled to one another? Will that conflict, whatever it is, will it deny the gospel? Or will it proclaim it? The world doesn't need us to be perfect. The world doesn't need us to be a community that's free of conflict. The world needs us to be a community that handles conflict in a way that points to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desperately need you to humble us, we need you to be at work in our relationships. we need you to reconcile ultimately you've done that through your son the work is already accomplished if we would just apply it the work is